0: Hi, this is Aaron Azrod, and welcome to the 157th episode of the Truth Island podcast. On September 1st, Hurricane Ida swept through the Northeast, causing a record amount of flooding and property damage. Unlike hurricanes before, it, the floodwaters of Ida did not restrict themselves to waterfront property and other high-risk areas, but rather flooded places which had never experienced flood damage before. Well-traveled highways and subway stations, which no one a few years ago would have predicted being susceptible to flooding had now become scenes from a Hollywood blockbuster. While the storm was certainly scary, what's perhaps even scarier are the implications that this storm represents. Anyone with a sound mind can now see that climate change is real and is not restricting itself to beachfront properties in Florida. However, in the weeks and months ahead, an even greater danger than climate change looms in the background and that is the danger of human apathy. While natural disasters have a miraculous way of bringing together the human species, there is a huge possibility that once the news cycle changes, people will begin slinking back into their old selves and going about business as usual. The ability of humans to turn a blind eye to impending danger is actually quite remarkable and almost begs the question of whether or not we as a species even care anymore whether or not we continue. The time for reasonable deniability has long since passed, and one need not decipher complicated scientific journal articles or watch documentaries to understand the impending danger, but rather simply gaze at the numerous videos of flooding that have been uploaded to websites such as TikTok. And yet, despite this preponderance of easily accessible evidence, the yoke of apathy is most likely already pulling at some as they return to browsing their Amazon Prime accounts for discounts or plunging money into some multiplayer game that they downloaded on their phone. Joining me to help wake people up, I am once again joined by Brett. Brett, is it just me, or do you think the human species has some kind of death wish?
1: (laughs) Um, I don't know about a death wish, but it it definitely feels sometimes like we, uh, we don't know what's good for us. I remember, You know, when I was younger, when I was growing up, the weather in New York was was much, much more different than it is today, and uh, people don't seem to care so much. But uh, I think it's like you said, it's it's probably a sign of of things to come, or it's only going to get weirder from here on out.
0: Absolutely, I I definitely want to talk about that, and we're we're actually we're not that old. You know, both of us are in our early thirties. So mm-hmm. the amount of climate change that I've seen in just in just a short amount of time is miraculous. Um, the level of like snowstorms, for ex- for example, I remember like having these huge blizzards and now and now we're seeing less and less of that. It does still snow here, but I, I've noticed that the caliber of snow is not as powerful as what it once was. Okay. I want to talk about um, one of the questions that people have been asking me the most on like social media is, is it as bad as Sandy or like, why, why is this flood particularly different? And as a New Yorker, I kind of want to weigh in and, and discuss what differences I see, and I might be wrong in this. I'm not a climate change expert. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a geologist that went out and measured, uh, you know, the soil or something. So this is just a layman's observation of what I of what I've experienced. I remember that Hurricane Sandy had much stronger winds than, than this hurricane. So trees were knocked down. In terms of like trees and like the wind damage, I have to give it to Sandy. Sandy was far worse. However, the flooding of Sandy was quite different than the flooding of of Ida, and here's how. When Sandy hit, the houses that were mostly affected were houses in high risk areas houses in the far rockaways houses that were near the water um you know houses near the long island sound like any anywhere all these houses were high risk areas that that in order to own those houses you have to have flood insurance and it's just it's just common sense like if you have a house here near the water there's a good chance that it's going to get flooded and, and then and and people who live in this area just realize that and that's why they have but that's why by law they're required to have um, flood insurance. So when Sandy happened, it was it was absolutely destructive. like there's no doubt about this. And the only difference I'll make here is that the houses that were flooded were houses that you would expect to see flooded. The difference with Ida is in the videos that I saw, is the places that were actually flooded. So I saw a lot of flooding in weird spots that you would never have imagined. I saw flooding in um, areas of like Regal Park. I saw flooding near Grand Avenue. I'm sorry, I'm a native New Yorker, so I'm, forgive me for those who don't, aren't familiar with the city, but these are areas that are pretty, pretty inland, right? They're not near the water per se. Um, I saw pictures of the Grand Central Parkway being flooded, I saw pictures of the BQE being flooded, 28th Street in Manhattan being flooded. Um, yesterday when I was uh, driving home from my girlfriend's house, when we were on the Grand Central, we just saw random cars just like pulled on the side. And I was like, what, what are those? Like, I just turned to my I'm like, why are there like random cars here on the side abandoned? And my girlfriend was like, oh, it flooded here a couple days ago. That's why these cars are like all over the place. And, and When you're on the Grand Central, there's no water in sight, there's no ocean, there's no lake, there's no nothing that would actually give you alarm, like there's nothing there that would be like, oh, this is a high risk area. It's just simply that if a place had a lower level of elevation, they were at risk for flooding, had nothing to do like being near the water like the far rockways. And this is what's actually changed my opinion. Like, like this is what's really been eye opening for me is when areas that were once deemed safe or not close to water are now becoming flooded. I, I think this is a giant wake up call for everybody. And that's, that's the difference between Sandy and this. And, and maybe in terms of a dollar amount, Sandy caused more damage, fair enough. The winds in Sandy were far more fierce than the winds of Ida. But in terms of the areas that were flooded, some pretty you know unforeseen areas were flooded in the new york city region and that that's what's giving me an alarm
1: so i remember i remember because I, I wasn't living in in manhattan during sandy i was living on long island which is adjacent to manhattan i remember during sandy the biggest issue that we had was power it was the only time i've ever experienced a power outage of this length or severity before where the, the, the Bay met the ocean in Long Beach, and salt water like rushed through the entire like rushed across basically the whole island, frying um, like everything with power that was outside. Uh, the wind took down power lines um, Long Island's power company is like notorious for like not doing the work that it's supposed to be doing and generally it doesn't matter until it did during sandy when all of these power lines that or all these power poles that should have been fixed a long time ago uh were put under severe stress and you know went down um i remember being in long beach and seeing like streets totally underwater and seeing fires popping up from beneath the water have you ever seen such a thing aaron no, right? So fire was, and
0: water don't play together.
1: <laughs> no, but it, it was happening. It ha- was happening because the salt water was rushing very quickly over the, these cars and start making their batteries catch fire. And it was, it was unbelievable. I'd never seen anything like that. And when everything was said and done, most of the cars in my area were destroyed beyond repair. Uh, and we had no power, no one in our town had power uh, no cell phone service. And that went on for, for weeks for us. We, I know that there are people who had it even worse, who had lost power for, for up to a month, but for us, uh, we didn't have power for, um, I think it was a little bit over two weeks. And, uh, it wasn't just us, right? It was the, the, the neighbors and, and the neighboring towns even didn't have power. And so it was like, there was nowhere you could go to get like relief from it. You know what I mean?
0: Well, no, that's that's quite. I, I'll be honest. I during Sandy, I was living in Queens, just just as I do now, and we were dependent. I mean, if you were in the far rockaways or that kind of area, yeah, you 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 got hit badly, and you were probably without power, and your house was, or your basement and your lower floors were probably flooded. Typically, where you know where I live in, in 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 this part of Queens, we're very high elevation, so we 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 seldom get any kind of flooding and so forth. That's and that and that's kind of like what's sort of bothering me is now areas that were once considered to be, quote unquote, high elevation are now coming at risk. I'm wondering this question. I don't actually have the answer to this question. Maybe you can help me out here. Do you think that the reason um, that power didn't go out during Ida as much as during Sandy is as a result of Sandy, we took better preparation. Like we just kind of rebuilt. Like I know the the houses in the far rockways, for example, were raised like 11 feet or or something above the ground so that if a flood of that magnitude happened again, those houses would be safe. So do you think maybe the only reason that Long Island was saved this time around is because they had learned the lessons of Sandy and sort of built the power structure, built houses um, above the flood level?
1: I wouldn't say the only reason, but definitely that plays a a large role. You're right, because like, it's not even that they learned their lesson. It's just like, Sandy, if there's a forest and then there's a storm, the weak trees get knocked down. Then the next storm comes and less trees get knocked down because all the weak trees already went over. And that's what happened here. All the weak power power lines went down, um, and the ones that weren't weak didn't go down. And when they replace them, they replace them with new power lines, and and you know now now you're all good for the next one. Uh, so yeah, yeah, hundred percent that uh, that played a role. I also you know you mentioned the raising of houses for sure. Uh, you see that all over now in the suburbs, people getting their homes raised due to flooding, which is crazy to me. I mean, growing up, this was never a concern. Snow was always a concern, uh, but never you know hurricanes. This is totally new to new york anyway
0: so when people say that like oh sandy was worse and so forth i want to i want to kind of run this hypothetical with you let's just imagine for a second that sandy never happened okay we're living in an alternate timeline sandy never happens and then hurricane ida hits would the destruction of ida have been far worse because all of those low-hanging houses would still have been there. All of those low-hanging power lines would have still been there. So if it wasn't for Sandy teaching us a lesson, we would not have adequately prepared for Ida. And that's why it seems like like it could be that Ida was just as bad as Sandy, but because we took all of these preventative measures during Sandy, it makes it seem like Ida isn't as bad.
1: Definitely. Um, Well, I mean, there was, I think they said um, eight people died during Hurricane Ida's Uh, but I think that, I think that in terms of, I don't think that, that Sandy and Ida would have been equal if Sandy had not come first. I think that Sandy did a lot of wind damage. I think the wind is, is very dangerous and the, the, the ramifications of more wind versus more water can be, can be debated, but I don't, what I don't think can be debated is that wind just does a a ton more damage knocks things over and the wind blows water into places that it normally can't get to, you know, that kind of thing. Oh yeah, um,
0: yeah, and and I will I will concede that point. I think Sandy definitely had the higher wind power, you know. I, I remember this one guy remarked after Sandy like the trees from my childhood have been destroyed, you know, like so yeah. definitely <laughs> the wind power of of Sandy was far worse than the Ida. Um yeah, no, that's, that's that's absolutely correct. Okay. So I kind of want to start shifting into the uh, the implications of how us as humans are interpreting this or not interpreting this, Um, because because obviously neither one of us is a climate change expert. And I think there's been enough said there's enough voices from the scientists on this issue. But there aren't enough voices from the philosophers on why, how human beings are interpreting these events. because, And that's an important question, because how we interpret these events is how well we fix these events, right? Science mm-hmm. is science. But human behavior is human behavior. So I want to look at it this way. Um, I think that with hurricanes of the past, so let's think about hurricanes in the 2000s you know, and earlier than that. There's always this idea of like, well, that's Florida, it's Florida, right? Like, because we, we like, like, and we're 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 desensitized to seeing houses getting destroyed in Florida. Like, when a giant hurricane goes through Florida, we're like, what's new? That that's always been the case. That has always happened. These people live in a high risk flood zone area, so when we see hurricanes and such go through Florida and not, you know, obviously it's very painful for these people, but the rest of the world just is like hurricane in Florida. What's new, right? Right. The, 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 the the turning point with this hurricane is these images of 28th street subway being flooded of, of like the grand central parkway, the BQE being flooded because these are not high risk areas. And I think mentally for most of us, this should be a turning point where we can't just say, oh, this is like waterfront property in Florida or the far Rockaways where these people knowingly live by the water. These are areas that are not even close to water. They're very, they're, they're sufficiently inland. And mentally, I think that has to be, like that has to be shifting some gears, but I'm getting, I, I'm, from what I'm seeing, like there was definitely a lot of cool TikTok and YouTube videos I'm starting to see that die down and that's starting to worry me. Do you have any ideas of why that might be, Brad? Like why people are not as concerned as perhaps they should be?
1: I think it's, it's desensitization, right? I mean, it's how many things that they're sharing these videos because of how novel they are. I remember when, when, uh, you know, I was young coming to the city for the first time, how interesting I thought it was to see, like, for example, like vermin in the subway. And now I, I, I like my brain filters it out. I don't even see it anymore. And it's like to someone. So like someone in the know would be like, well, this is a problem. You still need to pay attention to it. But like I would be like, no, I don't really care anymore. I've seen this so many times. And, and I think that's what's happening here is that you have people who are just being desensitized to climate destruction every year is another Horrible hurricane, tornado, whatever. It's and, and it just doesn't feel novel anymore.
0: Okay, so that's very interesting. And, and this kind of goes back to a, a quote that I I heard from someone who lived during World War II. And that is like the first dead body you see scares the shit out of you. But then after that, it just becomes commonplace. Like you just get you just get used to seeing dead bodies after a while because it, it just it becomes the new norm. My my concern is that. Since these areas are being flooded that were that were typically once, you know, that were typically thought of as being safe, isn't there enough novelty with that that it should still be kind of like jumping around in our conscious a little bit more? Because like I said, with the like I could understand being desensitized to Florida damage just because we've seen so much of that. you you don't think there's enough novelty with this particular instance of like seeing like the q60 bus being flooded like there's there's not enough novelty or nuance with that that's like oh this is something a little bit different this isn't this isn't like the typical areas that get flooded that's that's kind of where i'm a little perplexed that, that i think that the areas that were flooded are a bit different than what was flooded before and also uh for for people who are listening from philadelphia Areas in Philadelphia were also flooded that had never been flooded before as well. So I think, I think we, we kind of share something in common with the city of Philadelphia as well.
1: You know, Aaron, I think that a lot of it is like younger kids today, um, not just younger kids, honestly, like everyone has a shorter attention span. And so it's like things, things move fast in, in the age of the internet in terms of like what's interesting, what's not interesting. and um, I think that even if there are real things that people should be focusing on now, it's I wonder if if like the kids on TikTok, to use your example, are the ones that we really need to be like zeroed in on the problem, or if there are maybe other people who should be paying attention instead.
0: Okay, I think this is an excellent point, and that's um, and I it's actually something I thought of, but you actually articulate. You, you, you actually put my thoughts into words, is that a lot of the mediums, a lot of the technologies that we're in, interfacing with right now, train us to have a very short attention span. And, you know, we could be like, all right, oh, it's making us, you know, we, we read a lot less, we focus a lot less in school and so forth. And people for a long time, oh, okay, big deal, you know, kids will be kids. But now when it comes to something such as a hurricane or, or something that actually really requires deep levels of focus, this technology is actually killing us in a way, right? Because the, the technology and people people will call me an alarmist and say, Aaron, come on, it's just, it's, you know, they said the same thing when the television came out, man, they said the same thing when the radio came out. But if these devices are destroying our attention span to such a degree that we can't focus on on such an impending danger, that's a huge problem for our survival it's 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 quite different than that of the tv and the radio because okay is tv as good for you as books probably not but at least like like i'll give you an example of this when 9 11 happened people were at least able to concentrate on 9 11 for like a solid month okay after I, i remember vividly. 9-11 happened. People put flags outside their houses, on their doors. They at least had the attention span to focus on 9-11 for a solid month or two. Whereas now, like if if a 9-11 happened today, God forbid, I I honestly think that within a day or so with this TikTok and and with people's diminished attention spans, it would just go right over their head. They wouldn't even see it.
1: It's interesting. I think that political, geopolitical issues hold people's attention a little bit better, but I get your point. I think that, I don't know, I I feel like people have derailed the climate change issue for their own kind of desires, their own agendas, to the detriment of of basically all of humanity. Like people have, certain actors have decided that this is going to be a good mechanism for them to get something that they didn't have before—influence uh, or or power or what have you—and they they just picked it. Like they're like, "Oh, this is this is what we'll use. It'll be great." And the result is now like it's impossible to have climate change be taken seriously because people are like, "Oh, you're on the climate change team. I'm on the not climate change team." And it's like, "What are you even talking about?" Like how that's not a team. And then it's like, well, the guy that I like, you know, he told me I shouldn't trust you and that I should only trust him. And it's like, this was a bad choice for him to pick. He should have picked something more innocuous than this to stake his claim on. And um, I don't think anything, I think that's part of the reason people have an apathy towards it is because it just feels like another dumb political issue now.
0: Okay. I I think I want to, zoom in on that right now so let's say we rewind the clock to the year 2000 2001 2002 what you know whatever year inconvenient truth came out okay let's rewind the clock to, to whatever that year was i think it was 2001 or 2002 i don't quite remember um i think there was the luxury of saying, yeah, this is an annoying political issue. It's not getting hotter. It's it's just it's just it's just politics. It's just it's just politicians making a huff and a puff about all this stuff. and and, and maybe in 2001, you could kind of get away with that. What we would call plausible deniability, right? I think plausible deniability was maybe on the table in 2001. But after Sandy, after Hurricane Ida. You don't have any more plausible deniability of like oh this is just a political issue it's just the democrats or it's just this and that who think this it's like if you don't if you like like how can you deny the floodwaters entering some dude's basement in an area that's not even close to the water like that has in my opinion that has now transcended the the realm of politics because it's a clear it's it's a clear video as as clear as day of someone's basement apartment being flooded it's no longer within the realm of some abstract political issue to be ignored
1: i mean people are so good at ignoring things that aren't directly happening to them it's it's ridiculous i i don't know why we can't empathize i mean i do know why i just said it it's it's a lack of of empathy right a lack of of seeing other people suffering and and feeling suffering of your own instead of that you see other people suffering and you either and in the best case you ignore and you're like it's sad but it's not happening to me and then you maybe like backwards rationalize and you're like there's nothing i could do about it anyway right and and for for climate change definitely these problems can feel insurmountable uh, because they require they require the whole human race moving in step with each other which is don't doesn't happen very often maybe never uh, I, I can't think of any, any event in the past where the whole, or, or practically the whole human race, uh, moved, moved in, in one, moved as one to accomplish some kind of goal.
0: I mean, I would say that the country was fairly united after nine 11, hundred percent, no, it's never a hundred percent, but enough, enough that we were able to wage two wars with relative relative, you know, there was resistance, but it was. You know, it was completely overpowered. I don't I don't think we could ever be. I don't think we could ever reach a consensus of that level again.
1: Yeah, 9-11. The Bush era, in my opinion, is like the beginning of this, like hyper polarization of politics and this some very bad faith actors who are beginning to recognize that the rabble and, and what they can do to manipulate people. Um, if you remember, like here, I'll I'll pose an interesting question to you. What what are some some good songs, some good protest songs to come out of? Or sorry, not even songs. What are some good songs to come out of the Vietnam era in the United States? Um, Music about Vietnam. Yeah, sure. I think started. I think I
0: think like Eve of Destruction. I think the Jimi Hendrix song. You know, along the Watchtower um jefferson airplane was a lot of good great music that came out of that era
1: yeah i'm talking about like specifically related to vietnam so we have like fortunate sun know, fortunate, fortunate
0: sun clear water clear
1: Clearwater revival <laughs> Thank CCR. <you>. yes right <laughs> you have um you have run through the jungle you have uh fortunate sun you have uh that Buffalo Springfield song. Yeah. The Buffalo Soldier by Bob Dylan. I'm not by Bob Dylan, by Bob Marley. I apologize. Um, you know, there's there's good music in this era pertaining to the the war in Vietnam and being against it, right? Can you think of any music from the Bush era that was against the war in Iraq? There's one, I, I, There's one major song that I, I,
0: I, I think that I remember the Dixie Chicks did
1: something, but yeah, I, and they were they were like <laughs> eviscerated. They were kicked out of the country for it. And it wasn't a song. They just spoke out against it. Right.
0: Yeah. I, I'm actually the wrong person to ask because my my knowledge of music ends at 1992. So oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely the wrong person to ask about uh, musical questions.
1: So you have like American Idiot by Green Day. Uh, That album. And that's that's basically it. Uh, There isn't really much more that that happened during that era because it was during Vietnam, it was not considered like unpatriotic to be against the war.
0: Well, okay, I think that there's a few distinctions here. so Vietnam was the last war that we had that required a draft, so I, I think it hit people in a little bit more of a personal level because people people who did not want to fight were kind of conscripted into this thing, you know, if you didn't go to college or have a, a proper de- deferrent or whatever. whereas with the Afghanistan and the Iraq war. It's pretty much a volunteer army, so people could say, "Well, if you just don't sign up, it's not going to really affect you, or whatever, right?" So th- there is that there is that distinction of like the Vietnam War, basically taking people who don't want to fight and, and dragging them into into the conflict. So I, I I do I do hear that. Yeah, that's a it's a good question as to why. So I, I think that with with those wars in the 2000s, you you do have like some people have the luxury. Of, of not getting involved if they don't want to get involved by just simply not signing up for the armed services. Right.
1: But to, to have literally no dissenting opinion is insane. And it's like it shows the difference in time of like what was acceptable to talk about then and what is acceptable to talk about now. You know, I often see people talk about the talk about the fact that um, they're like, oh, you know they're, they're watching like an episode of like All in the family or something. And they're like, uh, like, oh, uh, you know, they, they, you'd never be able to get away with this on TV today, right? Like this this like, oh, people have become so um, cloistered and closed off in their viewpoints that like you can't do fun stuff in comedy. You can't do fun stuff in television and movies because people will get offended. And I think it's the opposite. I think that it's not the, the, oh, we can't make fun of people anymore because we'll get in trouble. I think it's the, like, we can't speak out against things that, that our government is, is doing because you'll get in trouble because people will, will take it the wrong way.
0: Okay. during during this era, there were a few, like, I know, I remember the, you know, the Michael Moore movie, uh, Fahrenheit 9-11, you know, like it did pretty well. Like it, like to say it had no impact, to say that it was just like a 3% of the population. No, like I, I would say at least in, in Democratic uh, leaning. Fahrenheit
1: out, 9-11 came out almost 20 years ago, Aaron.
0: No, but I'm saying it is an example of dissent against the war in um Iraq. So I'm saying, I'm saying like, I'm just pointing that as like an example of there was dissent at that time, you know, like, and again, it wasn't like the movie didn't come out directly after 9-11. I think it came out in 2004, 2005. So it was more of like an Iraq war protest kind of film. I don't don't think it was um, necessarily protesting Afghanistan as much was more, more against the the war in Iraq. Um, So I, I do think that there is examples of of dissent. I don't think it was a question of not being allowed to speak up. What I do think is happening is that, and maybe it's the advent of the internet that has kind of caused this, is that the, the voices of dissent or the voices of reason are more splintered than they ever have been before. So it's a like, like it's a lot more difficult to have something like a woodstock. Because of the internet, right? Because with with Woodstock, you have a clear, a clear culture and then you have a clear counterculture. Whereas with the internet, everybody has been kind of siloed off into their little spaces, if you would. And we've talked about this before. It would be really hard to have like a woodstock because there is no such thing as. A, a, you know, music of our generation, because our generation is splintered into so many damn factions that it's just impossible for us to all come under the same umbrella.
1: Yeah, I think we'll see. I mean, our generation is, for our generation, as in us, mid-30-year-olds, we we had some time before this this all started happening, but the generation after us and the generation after them, it'll be interesting to see How they form their their what their zeitgeist is, what their culture, their what their culture becomes, you know.
0: Yes, and I I think that if anything, if if trends continue, it looks like they're living in a very siloed splintered and and the pandemic isn't helping because at least at least before the pandemic you kind of had to brush elbows with people that thought differently um, than what you thought now now that people are kind of locked at home a bit more they're even they're they're kind of digging even deeper into their own siloed communities and not interfacing with people that they may not have otherwise interfaced with um, I really think
1: part of it also is just like I think that it's like a a Like a a cultural thing for the United States, I think that we very highly value going your own way, forming your own opinions, doing things by yourself. We are a nation of rugged individualists, and and that it's been that way since the founding of our country. I don't see it changing anytime soon, and I think when you you look at our reactions throughout history to various problems that required everyone working together. It's not often that it happens. I, like World War II, yes, everyone was joined in, in voice in fighting off the, the Nazis, um, but that was like a massive propaganda campaign to, to get us there. Same thing with the, the communists. And I'm not, I'm not speaking on the value of of American American effort in World War Two, or or even like which ideological side was best, because obviously it wasn't the Nazis. That's not the point I'm making. I'm just simply making that it required a large amount of effort by our government to even get people to to work together like that, right? And um, and yeah, and it just we haven't seen anything like that in in decades, and and I think that. I don't see that happening for climate change, you know, especially here, especially where we are, Okay, where everyone is, everyone is like, you know, I'm taking care of myself. If you're having problems, well, that, that sounds more like a you issue, buddy. I, I can't get involved in that right now, you know? Okay.
0: I wanna wanna think of it this way. So I agree with you, it's very easy. So if you had a house that wasn't flooded, it's really easy to be like, well, it didn't affect me, that's on you, buddy, right? And I get that. Let's zoom into a place such as Texas, okay? Do you remember a few months ago or maybe half a year ago, um, they had you know, like some kind of snow and there was a cold cold front, basically. Yeah, okay, and they were without power. So so this is an example of where people were directly affected by this. The people in Texas were without power, and then the temperature went to frigid level temperatures. And their their housing doesn't have the same level of insulation that a New York City apartment does for the winter, right? So their houses are very thin walls. There's no insulation in those walls. And these people were freezing their behinds off. So this is an example of where climate change affected a group of people directly, And yet they still don't feel like it's a big deal. And it's like, they can't, we can't even use the excuse of like, oh, well, you know, not, it didn't happen in my backyard, therefore I don't care. It's like, it did happen in your backyard. And yet you're still just kind of like glossing over it. So explain that one, explain how some people could be affected by something and still just
1: mentally gloss over it. So what happened there is uh, something called psychological inoculation, right? Or, or inoculation theory. And what that says is that an attitude, its what, what that postulates is that an attitude or belief can be protected against persuasion uh, in the same way that a body can be protected against a disease or something by introducing little bits of the argument and then attacking them and then kind of like building up someone's mental defenses such that when when the actual argument comes, it uh, it's not as effective. So inoculation theory, uh, I think that these these Texans and, and a lot of peoples are fed little bits of basically fake news, a little bit of like, you know, so, like a little bit like they're like, oh, uh, you know, the scientists today are talking about global warming, but it's colder than it's ever been. And then the person digests that little bit of information, they get a pat on the head and they're they're good to go. And you do that like little bit. So you keep giving weak arguments, strong counter arguments and over time you can train people to be highly resistant to changing their minds about certain things.
0: Now I like I like this theory but that's one hell of a, an inoculation there because let, let's think about this suppose you're a tech uh, uh, a Texan right and you're living in the heart of this um, giant um, ice storm or whatever it was right and mm-hmm. you may know somebody who died, um, the same thing with COVID. It's like, you know, someone who's died of COVID, but you've been like the propaganda is so strong that you've been like inoculated again, like you've been in inno- So basically, it's an inoculation against reality, like you, you, you can act, you could physically get to a point where people are dying around you people, you know, are dying around you, but you've been inoculated against actually seeing reality. Man, yeah. that's a that's a tough pill. To sw- I mean, like, I, I, are we that weak as human beings? Like, I know propaganda is strong, but imagine you're a person and then your sibling dies, your uncle dies, or something. That's one hell of an inoculation where you don't even see that as reality anymore.
1: Uh, you know, I, I read a, uh, an article about a, a doctor in Alabama who was talking about uh treating COVID, and um, she said that the number one uh, the number one request that she got from her dying COVID patients was to be vaccinated. They, they begged her, right? And, and she, all she could say was, I'm sorry, but it's, it's too late. And it's like they were inoculated against information. They had family members getting sick and they don't care. And then she would go to their, their next of kin and tell them they died of COVID and they still wouldn't get the vaccine because they still don't trust it. You know that's how that's how deep this can run okay so, so i think
0: that the distinction is is when some when an event happens right there's always something called muddied waters okay you have an event that happens and then you have a, a grace period of like misinformation and then you have a period of muddied waters where people are hearing different things and they're you know and it's like a deer in headlights like there is that that the, that grace period of like, is this right? Is this the wrong thing to do? The question then becomes of when is it clear that we are out of muddied waters and there is a definitive answer to whatever the problem is? And, and that's where I think accountability starts because like there'll always be something new happens or uh, something is up for debate, and there's always this idea of muddied waters. When, when, when is it definitive? Like, like come on now, now it's obvious that that this is actually going on, and now accountability sort of uh, lands in your lap.
1: Well, I think I think that in these cases, the issue is the issue is that, uh, I, and you know, we've talked before about the importance of of schooling of education, and I think that that this is this is a good place to talk about that again, is that you need, and not you, I mean, you also need this, but everyone needs this. You need to have a minimum level of critical thinking skills so that you can reasonably analyze information that is coming to you and make your own judgment calls about how accurate that stuff is. And that doesn't mean you need to be so smart that you know at a glance if everything is true or anything is false, but you need to get some stuff right. And it's like, if you can't, if you lack the critical reasoning skills to be like, okay, this multi-billion dollar company has been proven to have known about the effects of global warming for the past, uh, I think it's almost a hundred years. Actually, I think it's over a hundred years. It is, it is. There, there was a, a, um, Uh, an article published by the US government in 1912 or, uh, sorry, 1914, that talks about coal's effect on the climate. So if, if you see that and you're like, you know, okay, I see this. I saw there's an article about BP doing the same thing. They also knew they stand to lose literally trillions of dollars, right. For, uh, for, for the, the Green Revolution to happen, and then you stack that against scientists who make less than $100,000 a year telling you, no, they, these people are lying to you for their own self-interest, and you lack the critical thinking skills to be like, well, someone here has a lot more to gain from lying than the other one, uh, then, then that's the problem. It's not that that the, the scientists are are somehow guilty of being untrustworthy. It's that, pardon my my frank language here, it's that you're too stupid to put something together and say the scientists would have way more to gain by lying about global warming than telling the truth. It makes no sense for it to be going the way that I'm thinking. Okay. So the the side that I've taken is is logically flawed and cannot exist.
0: Okay, but Brett, you're not an ordinary cat. You're, you're a very learned individual. You're, you're a very learned individual and you thoroughly investigate things. And it's it, it's wonderful. Like you, you are an amazing guy for knowing all of this. I'm talking about my average American with one or two years of college, maybe an associate's degree. Uh, who has a family to support and they go on YouTube, right? And they see one person on, on a YouTube clip and it has the, the letters MD after their name. And then they see someone else with a, you know on another YouTube clip and it says MD after their name. They want to do the right thing so that that regular person who hasn't read all of these scholarly articles that doesn't research, you know, the, the financial interests of companies and so forth, it's just going on YouTube, they see someone in a white jacket with MD after their name, and they want to do the right thing when does it cross the line? And all of that, all of those people, by the way, are creating the muddied waters, and they're intentionally, um, you know, making the waters as polluted as humanly possible in order to deceive people. When does it come to a point where even a person with a high school education who's not like spending all of their time investigating this can choose the right option? That's what I'm kind of, that's like the larger philosophical question that I'm asking here is because obviously the learned individuals of our world are always going to do the right thing because they're learned individuals and, they, and they're and they they're in the know, right? They're in the know. They've been reading scholarly articles from the seventies and they know exactly what's going on in the world. I'm not worried about those. I'm not worried about that protected class of individuals. I'm talking about how, when, do, when does accountability fall into the lap of just the regular lay person who it's like, okay, now is there enough evidence now that you should be
1: doing the right thing? Well, so that's what I'm saying is that that's kind of my point here is that it's not um, it's not that like I've read all these articles and that I'm like an expert on climate science, as we've already discussed. I'm definitely not. It's that like I can use inductive and deductive reasoning to get through these two people's arguments and say, well, hold on. This one makes no sense. Like it's like there, it's like even like even if I knew nothing of of climate, like I could still clearly see a group that has a lot to gain and a group that has nothing to gain and thus the group that has nothing to gain why would they be doing that thing why would they be there? There, if they were doing that thing they would be acting for no reason whatsoever it goes against human nature right but okay cynicism
0: though is a form of like you have to have some intelligence to have cynicism because most people are very bad at spotting lies and most people don't ask the question of like, well, what's in it for you? Like, I'm going to be honest with you, just most people are, they have a decent heart. And like, when they hear information, they don't ask that critical question of like, why are you letting me know that? Like, why is it in your interest to give me this information? So most people come across information, and they just digest that information as being like, um, well, this person's just trying to help me out and give me a leg up in this world, right? Like you, you would need to have like some, you would have to have some intellectual callous developed within you that makes you kind of question all of these different motives, right? And, and, and I, I'm going to be honest, I don't know if that's a skill that most people have have achieved or most people can achieve.
1: Well, so that's, that's what I'm saying is that we as a country need to do better with education. So that the people have this skill to not the i'm not saying that you have to like read all these articles i'm not saying that you have to be like an expert at geology and climate science i'm just saying that like you should be able to tell the difference between someone who is trying to swindle you and someone who isn't and it's hard it is hard i'm not saying it's like such an easy thing to do that's why education plays such an important role and these people They get paid a lot of money and there's a lot of years of research and a lot of experiments and a lot of effort behind getting you to be as tricked as possible all the time all right let
0: let me let me introduce a fictional person and i want you to convince this fictional person let's say we have jack who has a high school diploma and his basement apartment just got flooded as a result of hurricane ida and he just lost his sister who died of COVID. And Jack says, nope, climate change is not real and COVID is a hoax. What, what do you tell Jack? He just lost his sister to COVID and his basement apartment just got flooded as a result of climate change. And Jack is like, nope, I, I, I just don't believe it. Tell me what evidence are you going to bring to Jack in order to enlighten him?
1: So tell me how you would talk to Jack. I would ask Jack why, I would ask Jack who told him it was a hoax. I would say, where did you find, where did this information come from? How did you, how did you formulate this opinion? And then from that, I would ask him, okay, what motive could a person, the, the person that gave you that information, what motive could they have for lying? Who are they as a person, the person who, who gave you this information that, that you took, why did you believe them? The, I, I'm not saying it in a sarcastic, like how could you believe them? I mean, like literally, like why do you believe them? Why do you trust them? And then, the people who are perpetrating the hoax, why are they lying? What motive could they have for lying? What are they gaining from the conspiracy? And then I'd finally ask given, I would say, is it possible that the person who told you that it's a lie, that they are the ones that are complicit in a conspiracy? And if they were, what would they have to gain from it? And is it possible the people who told you that it was it's a lie is it possible that they're the ones that are complicit in the conspiracy and if so what would they have to gain from it and then i would ask him compare in your head what is being gained if the covid is fake versus what is being gained if covid is real and then i would say finally i'd say now make a judgment call if you can because a lot of people become like dug into their ideas if you can make a judgment call about what is more likely, who is more likely to be lying based on their background, based on what they have to gain, and based on what you're seeing around you. Okay, so there's, a, there's, there's some
0: things I like about your approach. Um, it, it, is, it is a bit sophisticated, and you would have to have like patience of steel to do
1: that and, and like
0: Yeah. Well, it was the, hypothetical. So I right. thought I would I would yeah. go heavy. Like but was, I
1: recognize that, that in real life that would be very difficult to do. Yeah. People that, will, will that, shut that, you out that, immediately. That. They'll suspect you of being uh <laughs> a bad faith actor, right? And and it's difficult. But sorry, sorry, yeah. So I, I liked
0: on. I, li- I like the line of questioning, but obviously that would be very hard to execute uh in real life. But from your tone of voice, there is something that I did like that I got from that. And that is, speak to these people with compassion. And, and, and I think I, I, I did have like a, a tinge of compassion in your voice um, whether you realized or didn't, because I think what happens is that there's this tendency on like places like Reddit, for example, to just be like, you're a freaking dumbass. How could you not like 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 there's this like really hard, like this heavy-handed approach of just like calling these people dumb, your morons, your your low IQ chimps on the way of extinction. Like, like and, and Reddit is like the epitome of of nastiness, right? Where yeah. it's like when when we're kind of trying to unravel information. It never, it never seems to be unraveled uh, with a tone of compassion. Like, oh, my good, Like, the first thing that I would say is, like, I'm so sorry for your loss. I'm so sorry you lost your sister. Like, oh, my God, you, you, your basement, your apartment got flooded. Like, how, how can I help with that? Is there something I can do to help? Like, imagine if, if the people who spoke the truth actually, because I think the way the truth is unraveled matters is probably more important than the truth itself. Because like, if you're doing it in that heavy handed approach of like, you're a dumbass, you're a moron, you've already lost the battle. Or or if you do it in an overly intellectual way, the person gets intimidated. So if you come out them with like this, you know, like, here's this scholarly article written in 2003, you've already lost them because now they feel intimidated and they feel dumb.
1: Absolutely, you can't come at them. Uh, with that kind of approach, it needs to be much more compassionate. The other thing that's worth bringing up is that, due to no fault of of you or I or or anyone that we know, the world has become more insular. Google, Facebook, Twitter are a lot of places where people get their news from these days, for better or for worse. And I'm not here to debate if it's good or not. What I'm here to say, though, is that those systems are there to make money. They're not there to necessarily keep you informed. It's not their, their stated goal. And they have found that people are more willing to stay on their website if they're reading and seeing things that agree with their current worldview. And because of that, you could very quickly get stuck on these kind of websites where um, it's like an echo chamber. There is a very eye-opening tool on the internet that lets you change your search history artificially and then view what kind of YouTube ads or YouTube ads and YouTube videos you get suggested by Google. And it's it's astounding how your front page of YouTube looks different if you are searching the internet for climate denying stuff or medical science things or Trump things or Biden things. It's like, it completely changes how the internet looks to you. And so you could very easily think like my way is right, and this is this is a way that people have thought for, for centuries, is that you could very easily fall into the trap of thinking my way is right, because everyone agrees with me when that's not the case. It's just your world has been curated for you. Right. OK,
0: uh, last thing I want to talk about, because I know that we're reaching the uh, you have to go soon. How about and that, I think that's a good toolbox for. Um, dealing with a person that's been um, misinformed or misled. How do we deal with this type of person? Suppose we have another person that's actually really bright and really smart and has advanced degrees. They know climate change is real. They know COVID is real. They know all of these things to be true. And yet they're just like, "Eh, I just want to play PS5 right now. Eh, I just want to watch Netflix. How do we deal with that person that's educated? They know the truth. They're not misinformed. But they're just they're they're nihilistic, apathetic, and they're just like Meh, whatever. Human beings die, and people die all the time. No, no, big deal. How do you awaken that person?
1: So I think that uh, that uh, that is a cultural thing. I think I think that I, I always think of of other more authoritarian countries and they don't have this problem as much with the people not caring because they have to care. Like they'll get sent to the gulag otherwise. And it's one of the side effects of the, of our culture is that we just don't, we just don't care. We're very apathetic to lots of problems that don't, not even don't directly affect us, but like lots of problems that are like not even so terrible for us. Right. It's like, you know, like you, you, you speak of flooding and it's like, Oh, my basement got flooded. It's like, I am not going to change my spe- I'm not going to change my living habits to combat global warming because my basement got flooded. I'm just going to buy flood insurance. And um, it, it requires a group of people who think and act more like a community. And I just, I feel like that's the solution is to build community because then they will care because it'll, Building community builds empathy, and building empathy, of course, will will spur people to action when they see others being hurt.
0: I I actually think the first half of what you said is very true, in that the consequences for inaction are not dire enough. And I like what you said that like oh my basement apartment got flooded, uh, no big deal, or oh you know a few people die of COVID, but it's not you know no big deal. So. You, would you, let, let's just say, for example, that let, let's up the ante a little bit. Let's just say 50% of all people infected with COVID just flat out died. Okay. Let's let, we'll make the situation even worse. Let's say, yeah. let, let's say they were like, like catastrophic floods happening, not just like, you know, three times a year, but were happening like on a biweekly basis. And like, even if your basement apartment got flooded, if you went somewhere else, chances are that place would get flooded, right? Yeah. And let's just say that we were truly living in some kind of nasty, you know, Stalinistic, totalitarian state where you accidentally uh, sent the wrong email and now a secret police showed up and threw you in jail. Do you think that people would be less apathetic if the stakes of survival were higher. Like it just, it took more to live.
1: Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course.
0: So, so then the problem is, is that we were just, the reason why people are apathetic is not because they want to die and not because they yearn for (laughs) self-destruction. It's because they just have it too damn good. That's, that's what's at the root of this.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a, a famous Stanford psychological study about delay of gratification that found that uh, people are not so good at doing things they don't want to do now for rewards down the line. And that's for, for known rewards, let alone for something that might not even come. It's not, it's not our strong suit as a species.
0: <laughs> you, you know what, though? This conversation actually made me feel better, and I'm going to tell you why. At least at least, like, if if the reason for our inaction is opulence and luxury, that's not as bad as a secret death wish or a secret a secret desire to self destruct. So I, I, oh, I think yeah. so I, I think that like I can like if it's if it's luxury and opulence that's causing us to be apathetic. Well, the moment that luxury and opulence is taken away, now suddenly we'll care. So there is a remedy to that problem. Whereas if we all secretly wish to die, there's not really a remedy for that problem.
1: I don't think it's. uh, I don't think (laughs) that humans secretly have a death wish. I just think that, yeah, it's you know, it's not that we want to die. We just don't care enough to live.
0: I like that. I'm gonna I'm gonna (laughs) leave it off at that. Uh, Brett, thank you so much for being on today.
1: Thank you for having me, Aaron. I appreciate it.
0: This concludes the 157th episode of the Truth Island Podcast. I'm Aaron Ezra.